Stay tuned. Connect with Damien and Amanda is about to start. Join us as we cover inspiring topics on health, healing and transformation. We have both lived and breathed transformation in our own lives as practitioners and also the patient. So we'd love to inspire you so that you can empower yourself on your journey to health and happiness. The information shared on the show is general information and should not be used to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease and is not substitute for professional healthcare advice. Always check with your practitioner before you apply anything discussed on our show. So buckle up, strap yourself in and open up your third eye. Because we're here to help you to connect with Damien and Amanda. Hey, Amanda, how you doing? Hey, Demo. I'm very, very excited to start this podcast with you. I'm so happy that we're doing it. Yes, we've been mates for a long, long time now, and we both uh, share a passion of healing, energetic medicine, and spiritual conversations that tend to go down rabbit holes and revelations, but they lead to epiphanies, and, and now we can share that with our community. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm really, really looking forward to this. You know, we've been doing all kinds of amazing work together now for, for a number of years. And like you said, we've had many great discussions and, and this podcast pretty much came about by us having those discussions and saying, hey, you know, we should really be sharing this stuff with other people. I totally agree. And yes, what I also think is very different about our show is the fact that we come with that clinical experience and from a practitioner perspective, but we have also been the patient of, and have had to transform our own health and lives. Um, and this is one of the most common reasons why my clients find me and why I think we have a lot to say um, and to share on this show. And as I mentioned before, you know, you, you and I have been friends and professional colleagues now for, for quite a while. But today we're going to take a deep dive in. We're going to ask each other some questions. You know, we might find out some things we didn't know. Um, and we're going to get the listeners to understand a bit of our backstory as well. And another thing we're actually really excited about to get started with is this listener Q&A thing that we've had an idea for. So each episode, you know, we invite you to send us in your questions that you might have, and we'll have all the details on how you can get in touch with us in the show notes. So what I thought we'd start with is, who are we? If you don't know me, I'm Damien Brown, and I've been in clinical practice for the past 20 years, predominantly as a naturopath and kinesiologist, and my specialty is utilising natural medicine to help people with their health and healing. And an amazing healer at that. And he's, Damien's been a huge part of my healing journey. And um, he's just amazing. But I found Ben Like Bamboo in 2014. I founded um, my company. It's also my private practice, but a program designed to master resilience and health with flexibility. I'm a sports kinesiologist, speaker and author. And it is my total passion to help people to reimagine what can be possible in their mind, body and life. So, Damo, I think um, it would be so lovely to hear a bit of a backstory all about you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And when I was thinking about this, you know, I often get asked by my clients and, and my students, um, what led me to doing the work that I do? And, and I know that the work I do is a little bit unique, but I really do think that, like, ultimately, this has been largely influenced by my own experience with an autoimmune condition called ankylosing spondylitis. And most people are going to ask, what's that? So for me, I would describe it as a combo of inflammatory arthritis, eye inflammation, Crohn's disease and chronic fatigue, like all mixed into one, you know, and they're the symptoms that, that I've experienced. One of the really uh, interesting things is when, you know, one of my passions is a lot of uh, Chinese medicine and the acupuncture system. And, and when I was looking at their approach to this particular condition, they actually called it deathless cancer. Right. <laughs> so it was one of those things. This would probably be maybe in my 20s and, you know, and I was reading about this and, you know, there was things like, um, you know, when you've been diagnosed, most people are on a disability support pension within 10 years and there was all, you know, and I think I'd first had my first child around that time and I'm like, whoa, you know, and it was actually a real turning point for me because it's like, no, 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 that's not happening to me That's not this is happen, yeah, no. this isn't this isn't the way I'm going and it really started the ball rolling as to you know to where I sort of ventured out with my own research but most commonly people with um, ankylosing spondylitis we'll just call it AS as we continue it's a on mouthful. absolutely <laughs> Um, so the information, uh, the information, the inflammation often starts in the the sacroiliac joint which is in the lower part of the spine um, and I'll talk a little bit more a bit later about why it actually starts there. 
But it's also really common in other joints. So it can happen in the rib cage, the shoulders, the knees, the hands, the ankles, the feet, basically anywhere that tendons will attach to bone. Um, and it's possible that it can also affect other organs such as the eyes, the bowel, and more rarely the, the heart and the lungs. One of the things with me, the, the eye inflammation known as iritis, this was one of the huge things that I struggled with for, for years, especially when I was a teenager. You know, and some days it, it wouldn't be till later in the day that I'd felt like that heaviness had lifted, you know, from my eyes, if at all it would some days. And sometimes wow. I think, like, is there something wrong with my eyes? Is there, like, you know, it, it'd feel like you had, like, conjunctivitis or there's mm. sand in them. And there'd be days where it wasn't there and then days where it would just really flare up. And interestingly, though, this week, for the first time in a while, my right eye is actually being, you know, giving me the shits, basically. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and it's funny, as we were talking about doing this podcast, you know, a lot of my symptoms actually flared up this oh, week. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. So it shows you how much of, you know, maybe a psychosomatic or a, a mental aspect there is to a lot of your a lot of your things as well. well. When you try something in new, it's interesting what it brings up. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, that was yeah, talking a bit about the eye inflammation there. And, you know, one of the really big problems with AS is that uh, it's often it's, it's more common in men um, and it does start in those teenage years, but it's really difficult to diagnose. So it's often delayed by about 10 years until someone will often get a diagnosis. You know, and if you think back to me as a kid in the 80s, a lot of our medical imaging, our functional pathology, they were nowhere near like what they are today. You're going into a doctor, you're talking about a lot of this stuff. And even now, the medical community doesn't know a huge amount about AS compared to things like rheumatoid arthritis and some of the other... It's a mystery of, disease, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, because it's, it's just it's a lot different in the way that it, it manifests. And it's not as easy, I think, to diagnose and treat as mm. some of the other sort of arthritis out there. Yeah, right. You know, one of the other big problems is is that for a lot of people, they're going to get low back pain, stiffness and reduced mobility. So you get that really rigid sort of feeling in your body when you've really flared up. Not fun. No, no, not at all. If you go back to, like I was saying, back to me as a kid in the 80s, you know, I loved my sport. My passion was football. You know, I'd love to play footy in the, in the winter, cricket in the summer, you know, really any other sport in between when I could. But, you know, as I got a bit older around sort of that age of 11 and 12, I, I started to notice I was having really bad recovery, like after a game of football. So you'd, you'd finish it on Sunday and I'd be at home. It's like, oh, I just, I, I can't move. And I'd get these horrible hamstring cramps and I'd sort of, I'd jam up. And it'd feel like for most of the week I had to recover, you know, and I could eventually then come to say Sunday again, football game time was like, oh, I was good to go again but it almost took me that whole week to recover, mm. you know. And then one of the things was like, you know, well, why is this going on, you know. And most doctors, like I said back then, really didn't have an answer for what was going on. You know, you'd done some scans and things like that. It's like, no, well, the x-rays show up normal. And that's overwhelming just in itself. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and as a kid, you know, you're trying to work out, well, hang on, why can't I can't I move? This is, this is a bit weird. Yeah. So... It's also really interesting, it was about this time around that 11 and 12 that my gut started to flare as well. So I really started to get this, like I said, that the Crohn's aspect of it. And, you know, this was probably worse in a lot of ways than the inflammation because I could sort of manage that. But this, like these, it was like electrical storms going off in your gut. Like that's probably the best way to describe it. You'd be on the floor, you know, you'd have this feeling of like electricity just like smashing you in the gut. And it was, you know, it was quite horrible and... You know, the back then again, the the doctor's thoughts was, oh, you've just got a bad bout of gastro, and it was like, well, no, this I'm not sick. Like I'm, um, you know, this is something very, very different. So, yeah. you know, and and I knew that food was part of it. I could tell even intuitively, even as a kid. Then I knew, and I'd mentioned this to the doctor as well. And you know, back then nutrition wasn't really given like anywhere near the like the relevance that it is now for health and healing. Yeah. So so back then, you know, and even me as a kid, then I had no idea what gluten was and FODMAPs and all these sort of things. So I know if I'd have like Vegemite or peanut butter toast, I could feel really bad afterwards. But I thought, oh, it's the Vegemite or it's the peanut butter. Like yeah. you got no idea that it was the bread back then, yeah. you know, gluten intolerance. And, you know, when it comes to a lot of autoimmune conditions, there's a thing called poly autoimmunity where you can actually get other autoimmune conditions. So, right. you know, and I mean, I've never been tested, but I could probably say that I'm probably a celiac because I know, you know, it took me until I was probably into my 20s to realize that no, I can't eat gluten. Once I got gluten out of my diet, things like my iritis cleared right up, the mouth ulcers that I used to get cleared right up, all my gut stuff settled down. So it was a 
that was one part of it that was a huge piece to the healing for me. So, I mean, I don't recommend that everyone just go and cut gluten out of their diet, but for me... Well, you can get tested, as you Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I never have been, but it's more one of those things that when it's out of my diet, and it has been for, you know, a long, long time now. So you just decided, like, yeah, Yeah, and I know how much. And I know occasionally I can get glutened by accident, you know, and I know I'll get mouth ulcers again. I go, oh, wow, I got a mouth ulcer. And, you know, and we're talking about when you're a kid, you had them all Mm. the time, as to now not getting them at all. But... See, what gluten can do, obviously, for someone who might be a celiac, you get like that same sort of ulceration in the stomach. Yeah. So when you go back to some of those things, like I was talking about with the Crohn's and the lesions and things like that, yeah, yeah, you don't want that inflammation in your gut there. You don't want that autoimmune response going where your body is attacking. Which is also connected to your brain and all the systems in the body. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. So, yeah, that was one of those things that sort of, even as a young kid, I knew nutrition was part of it. And I think I do remember that one point in the doctor's office when it was one of these, no, I'm sure this is nutrition. And it literally was like the the flower or the seed that started that grew the flower for my, you know, for my research into nutrition. So it's one of those that moments is, where you go, oh, this is quite a learning experience. And that's probably inspired you to become a nutritionist in the end, hey? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, for sure. So, yeah, I was talking a bit there about, you know, not really even knowing what gluten was or that, you know, that food had a lot of this sort of, you know, these influence on your body. But when you look at the, you know, the musculoskeletal part of, ankylosing spondylitis, the autoimmune part. It's sort of no surprise that, you know, I started off studying exercise science and then, you know, I moved into naturopathy and nutrition and into kinesiology. And you can see how all these paths of investigation were there to help me self-manage my own challenges as well, not only for helping all the people that I do, mm. but initially to, for me, for my own sort of questions and investigation, which I think is quite interesting. Definitely. Mm. So let's sort of fast forward a bit. So we've got of sort of gone from this sort of 11 and 12 sort of period. And, you know, I, I studied, researched a lot, and I've done a lot with self-management. But it wasn't until about 15 years later, which I would have been sort of mid-20s, that I discovered I had a gene called HLA-B27. Mm. And this was something that I'd been researching and I actually specifically asked my GP to test for. So I had a pretty good idea that, yeah, and... What I found out later was this actual gene runs in my family. So not only uh, from my grandma, but my grandma's twin sister also has it. And there's this sort of, you know, there's this history of ankylosing spondylitis that, that runs through that wow. gene pool. So, yeah, not only grandma, twin sister, and then coming through there, yeah, yeah. which is quite interesting. Very so one of my reasons for going in for this was that I'd had some really bad flare-ups, you know, and there was these, and it wasn't always, but there was a couple of times throughout the year where I really just, I couldn't walk. So I was actually literally was that stiff, was that jammed that wow. I couldn't walk for like probably three to five days. I was actually quite stuck. Debilitating. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it was one of those things like I, I can't work out what's going on. And it could be things like I'd go for a 5K run and then you'd get this horrible flare-up where it was like, oh, shit, I, I can't move. Mm. So that sort of led me down a bit more of this investigation into the, the ankylosing spondylitis. And like I said, it was that, that sacroiliac joint was initially one of those areas of me that was really, really jammed. And that was the part that, you know, that jammed the back up and, yeah. and the not being able to walk. But coming back to this sort of HLA gene or HLA-B27, so HLA stands for human antigen leukocytes. And they're proteins that are found on the surface of white blood cells. So the B27 refers to the particular protein that helps white blood cells determine whether cells are good or from the, so the good cells from the harmful cells in the body. Um, and what can happen with if someone like me who's got HLA B27 is the immune system incorrectly sort of treats the body's own cells um, as a threat and then it goes out and starts attacking them. So like that the sacroiliac joint and you create the inflammation there in the, in the sacrum or in the hips. And what happens is these white blood cells attack the healthy tissues and obviously particularly the joints and that causes the pain and inflammation. So similar to MS. This yeah, is absolutely. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So you see the way that autoimmune but conditions... Different, same yeah, but yeah. different. The way they manifest in the body can be quite different. Yeah. So, so like this gene's present in a small percentage of the population. I think it's like around 8%. And although most people who have the gene don't always get ankylosing spondylitis... Around 90% of people with AS have this gene. So that's where we see the the link and the correlation. Now, something that was really interesting for me is this whole 11, 12 flare-up time was also where my parents divorced. 
Right. So you see a huge change in the way, you know, your life goes. And yeah, and then all of a sudden you your see... Your environment, yeah. your emotions yep. and how you think and feel. Absolutely. So even though there's a genetic part of it, you know, what's that saying that... um that the genes can load the gun but the environment pulls the trigger. Yeah, so you yeah. can have that genetic predisposition but that doesn't always mean it's going to manifest no. for people. So, you know, one of the things I see online with HLA-B27 is people think it's like a disease. So they actually think that, oh, I've got this HLA-B, HLA-B27 so I'm going to get XYZ. Mm. And that's not always the case. So one thing I want to talk about here is that there's actually some really good things that I'm actually thankful for HLA-B27 as well because it actually increases your immunity to viral infections. Yes. So with the HLA-B27 gene, um, things like HIV-1, hepatitis C and influenza, you actually have a really strong natural immunity to. So that's actually really cool. Yeah. So this gene's there for a reason. It's not just there to create and wreak havoc. So. You know, and, and I think one of those things is that, you know, probably if you take this gene back to, I don't necessarily say Neanderthal times, but, you know, you take it back quite a while, it would have been protective against viruses and, yeah. you know, and there may not have been the modern stresses in the way of, you know, maybe foods, environmental pollutants, infections, yeah. you know, all those things may not have existed back then. Yeah. It was actually quite a protective gene back then. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where I actually don't mind it as a, you know, as a helper for viral infections. Yeah, that's amazing. So it actually gives, you know, so that's something for people just to be aware. If you've got it, you know, it's cool. There's, there's a positive for it. Yeah. Um, and you can manage this. It, it's the way it's the way the gene expresses. If we can settle the gene down and we settle down the triggers, then your symptoms go down. And that can be the case with me. You know, I can actually be symptom free. So I can actually be cool. So it's not all doom and gloom. So, and this was actually something that really got me studying and um, interesting more like DNA and understanding the implications of other polymorphisms. So people might've heard of things like MTHFR and COMT and FUT2 and... So I actually find all this stuff really cool. So I've done, you know, my whole gene sequence, or not my whole gene sequence, what's available, you know, and and started piecing together, you know, things that can help my own, you know, health and healing. So it was one of those things, again, it was a real gift that it got me interested in in gene testing and polymorphisms and, you know, and I think these are really cool things that, you know, that we can learn about ourselves. Definitely. And how did that help you on the course of your healing journey, do you reckon? I think just um, one of the things that with with any autoimmune condition, I think is that, and you've got to have a team of practitioners around you. You've got to have people that understand your condition and people that can help you. You need people on your team, but you've also got to know that self-management is a huge part of any autoimmune flare up. So, you know, and that's one of the things I find that I educate a lot of my clients on is that, no, you're actually having a flare up. So it's like, you know, when things are good, that's great. Now you're having a flare up. Let's work on how we manage Mm. you having a flare up and how we can even minimise you having a flare up, you know, in the future. Definitely. Yeah. So there's, you know, lots and lots of good information that come from it. One of the most challenging things that I want to talk about, you know, it's still talking a bit about what we were just discussing then, is that when inflammation is present in your body, any type of inflammation, your body needs energy to deal with it and a byproduct of the inflammation is fatigue. Does that make sense? Yeah. So your body's got to, you know, rally in the troops to try and help combat this inflammation and a side effect can be feeling wiped out. Yeah, absolutely. And so, the, and that goes for any type of inflammation. You know, so there's been many mornings, especially with ankylosing spondylitis and the stiffness, that I actually wake up feeling worse than before I went to bed. Yeah. And it's like, how did I stuff that up? All <laughs> I had to do was lay down, close my eyes, go to sleep, and it's like you wake up feeling yeah. like, oh, my God, I am so jammed Your body and was so just stiffed. so busy yeah. just trying to, you know, yeah. repair you. But yeah, like I said, inflammation can really wipe you out and it's probably been one of the most challenging things that I've found, you know, to getting, getting on top of. Yeah. So even when, you know, you think you've done all the right things and like I said, you can, you can get a flare up. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, this is something that I spend a lot of time educating people on to try and, you know, settle down their own inflammation in their body. And as I said before, you know, there's no simple cure or quick fix for a lot of autoimmune conditions. There's going to be a lot of self-management and, you know, there's so much you can do that can help control your own symptoms. For me, one of those things has been diet. Yep. You know, this has been huge, especially linked in with that HLA-B27 that I'll I'll talk a little bit about in a second. But Diet and, and healthy gut function are really, really, really important. You know, in controlling symptoms, 
for I think just a lot of conditions, not just AS. Because because one of the really interesting things is that around seventy to eighty percent of your immune system's actually in your gut. Yeah. So okay. what you eat makes a huge, huge, huge difference to how your body performs. And how your um, gut assimilates the nutrients and breaks it down and absolutely. absorbs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things with AS is that we have a bacteria in our gut called Klebsiella. Mm-hmm. Now, this everyone's got it. It's normal. But what can happen is when this gut bacteria overgrows, yep. that HLA-B27 goes to work and right. thinks like it's an invader. Yep. And it, that's where the autoimmune system, that's where the autoimmune condition sort of starts to get triggered yep. and the body starts to attack itself. So one of the things that I've found really helpful is trying to keep Klebsiella as low as possible, helps keep the immune system happy yep. and stops the body from attacking itself and the inflammation from occurring. And one of the best ways uh, you can do this is with a low starch diet. Yep. So uh, starch is being like your potatoes, rice, breads, you know, all of those sort of things. Uh, in my particular case, they seem to be the thing that helps What's settle the difference it. between resistant starch and starch? Uh, more the way it's digested in the body. So how it actually, like you talking before about digestion and assimilation. Yeah, so yeah. resistant starch can sort of make it through a bit further without yeah, being digested. Yeah, yeah. So I think with a lot of the resistant starches, they can become good bacteria, good food for the bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to yeah. help grow the good ones. Yeah, absolutely. So in my case, that may not always necessarily be a good thing mm. because that bacteria, the Klebsiella, can actually feed on that it's and overgrown. overgrow. But you know what's really interesting is that before I get into this, there's a really good book called The IBS Low Starch Diet. Nice. Um, and it was actually written uh, by a lady who has HLA-B27, the ankylosing spondylitis, and she worked with the leading researchers on this in the time in the 80s So that discovered all of this stuff. So she's got a really good book. For anyone who might have AS or wants to look into it like a low-starch solution, it can be really good. And Because one of the cool things about the low-starch diet is you can still eat other carbohydrates – you don't have to be as restrictive like, say, as a keto diet. Now, keto diets can be amazing for a lot of people, but sometimes they can be a bit restrictive if you don't sort of uh, adapt to the keto diet type well. So this can be another sort of really good option to look at, especially for sort of gut things. But, yeah, what I was talking about before was that, yeah, with the starch, so you can lower the starch, but what was really interesting is that glucose doesn't seem to affect the Klebsiella, so like sugar. So, like, I could eat, you know, a bag of Allen snakes and actually be okay (laughs) But, you know, or a can of Coke. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's what you should do no. because there's a lot of different things that come into play but with your health. But the comparison is what's yeah. interesting. So, you know, I could have a, like I said, I could have a can of Coke and not flare up. But you could eat a potato, which I love, and, you know, and you get, yeah. get those things. So it's really interesting how the diet. So it's not necessarily even about being healthy or unhealthy. It's just how your body responds to that particular And you've got to thing. nail that for yourself, don't you? That's yep. the self-care part, isn't yep. it? The responsibility. Oh, absolutely. Figure that out for yourself and yep. then get general advice from you know, your team and you're on your way to wellness. Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's sort of, like I was saying before, diet is really, really important. And, um, you know, like I said, find someone who can create the right diet for you or do your own research. But like with anything, there's always going to be a a period where you're going to have to fine tune it. So you're not, you may, but you're not really ever going to just pick an off-the-shelf type diet, usually yeah. just boom, especially for more complicated conditions. There's yeah. always going to be some And it might change over the course Absolutely. of your recovery as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. So for me, you know, when um, – because I'm not saying I don't ever eat potatoes because I do, but when you're in a flare-up stage, low starch can be a lot more helpful to try and reduce that, you yeah. know, that load, that Klebsiella load back down again. You know, and then when I'm feeling good, usually like a – a generally balanced, healthy diet of whole foods is, is pretty good for yeah. me. Yeah, fruits and um, vegetables, nuts yep. and seeds. Absolutely. But when, you know, if I'm in a flare-up, you know, I definitely go into more of that low-starch sort of side of things. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things with, with AS as well is that exercise and the right type of exercise is, is really important. So one of the interesting things is, is that AS is better with exercise and worse with rest. Oh. Yeah, which is which is challenging because you actually have to move. Keep if moving. you don't move, yeah. you get rigid, you get stiff. So if I, I mean, one of the big challenges now is obviously being isolation and lockdown. 
I've got my, you know, usual gym routine that yeah. I've done for the last whatever, 20-something years. Yeah. That's sort of, you know, that's that's been taken away. So I've really had to you adapt have to, do to it at home or Yeah, and I can definitely feel the difference. Mm. Especially sort of now as the, you know, the weeks have gone on. What are we now? Are we four or six five weeks, or five six, weeks into yeah. like lockdown. So, you know, and definitely the last week or two I've noticed, I mean, I'm really grateful I've got this amazing park at the end of my street so I can go for a walk. A lot of the inside of our house is set up like a gym at the moment, like my daughter's training in there. So I'm sort of lucky. We've got a few things in there to do, but it's not the same as my normal sort of routine that I know works for me. So anyone with AS, go back to the 80s and you look at the the advice, it was swimming. Swimming was the thing. Get out there and swim. Swimming's so good for you. Swim and swim and swim. Yeah. One of the other things I found for Mm. me was... um, Back in my early days when I first started as a practitioner, like I used to do a lot of corrective exercise and and massage and I used to teach Pilates and these yoga flow sort of type classes back then. You know, this was before, I'm talking like 2001 too, so it probably wasn't as popular as they are today, but still were. But I felt amazing when I was teaching, like I think I was teaching like some of these sort of group classes Oh, probably five, ten a week of them. So I was doing so much stretching, you know, so much mobility work and and I definitely know I was feeling a lot better you know, wow. when I was doing more of that. So that's one thing I've got to keep, I know in my own mind, keep up with the mobility, keep up with the stretching, yeah, stretching. doing all that sort of stuff. So yeah, so exercise and the right type of exercise is, is really important for AS. You know, and I've just had to modify my things, you know, like things like me now, golf, which I used to love. You mm. know, I can't do golf anymore because that rotation through my spine, Right. great for three or four holes. But that's after that, it. it's just, yeah. And the same thing like with my, I love my snowboarding, I love my wakeboarding and I can still do it. I just can't go as hard as I probably did when I was younger. So you can still do everything. You've just got to start to just to, you know, monitor and and work out what works for you. So that's what I mean. This isn't a, this isn't a condition where you just can't do anything. You can still do it all. You've just got to manage it. Yeah. You know, and all of this stuff too with the with the AS and, and all of the physical stuff, that you know, that's what really got me interested in the biomechanics and the kinesiology and obviously, like I said, with that first degree I did in phys ed and exercise science, you know, I found that's been really helpful yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. I can see why, particularly with having to understand your body on a physical level, emotional, um, you know, biochemical particularly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All of the above. And like I said, as you get older and you see it all come to you, you go, oh, wow, that's an interesting like life teacher. Yeah. Because it does. It, it's it's yeah. taught me all of those things, like everything, physical, nutritional, biochemical, yeah. DNA, spiritual, gift. emotional, all of that stuff. Yeah. All yeah. the stuff we go yep. through, all of our setbacks are definitely like overcoming look at, it. Yeah. Look at all of it. I think that probably sort of wraps up, I think, a bit about what I have been through and, you know, and the things that I've done to help me manage a lot of stuff. Was there anything in particular that you sort of wanted to ask me? Yes. Yeah. I think that your story is profound. I think that it's so interesting, all the things that you've done as well in your Mm. life. Like Mm. you've been a Pilates instructor and also (laughs) phys ed teacher and all of your studies, you know, in um, the biochemical field and then kinesiology and then your spiritual understanding. It's just like um, you, you see the body as a whole and you understand it in an integrated fashion, which is why I believe you're a profound healer. Mm, thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. So and but that's, yeah, like I said, it literally has been my life's work from a very young age to just yeah. look at all of those things. Yeah. You know, I was even one of those kids when I was younger that would get all the mythology books and the yeah. philosophy books and <laughs> I'd be reading all that stuff. Like I'm not, <laughs> I can't ever say I've actually really even read a novel, like uh, something like Harry Potter or things like that. I, I don't think thing. I've ever read a book, no, yeah. but so much of literature. I just sit on the toilet and read research papers. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you, you are a walking encyclopedia, let's be honest. So that makes sense now. Well, I want to ask you, what are the three things that you can recommend now to others listening out there? Just three things. So I think the first thing is to, to do your own research. Yeah. For sure. Like do your own research because you need to take charge of your own health. And one of the great things that now is that we've got so many tools available to us. You can run your own DNA testing. You can run your own lab panels if you want to, to find out more information about yourself. So, you know, the, the Medicare system is great, but it only offers, uh, you know, a specific amount of information. And there's a lot of other things that we can work on to, you know, to get more information about ourselves. Mm. And, you know, and even when you look at things like, you know, your Fitbits and all this information we can now collect on ourselves, we can actually get some amazing stuff to, to help uh, manage our own sort of health conditions now. So you don't necessarily always need 
to rely on other people. You can actually take charge and start well, a lot of stuff yourself. It's part of the healing process, isn't well, it? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and we lose our power and we lose that inner anchor. And when we're scared and frightened, this is perfectly normal, by the way, really normal to, to forget how smart you are, how um, diligent or um, what you're capable of. And so part of it all is reimagining, you know, how you can um, – overcome this for yourself yeah absolutely and i think so my first thing is do your own research yeah. that's how i started with a lot of stuff and then find the right practitioner or practitioners yeah. for you so yeah. that understand your challenge get your support crew around you i think that's really really important really important you know so i still have you know i have kinesiology i've got an acupuncturist occasionally i'll see a physio you yeah. know I've, there's there's lots of things that uh, there's lots of things that i'll still and do do you have a trusted my... gp that you love that um is that balanced? I I don't. I don't even know the last time I went to a GP. I think it was well, that's 1988. That's a really good sign that you're pretty healthy. <laughs> <laughs> that be because, I mean, one of the great things about being a naturopath is I can run a lot of stuff on myself. That's so so the main difference is I have to pay for my own testing yeah. and things. But, yeah, I I actually can't even remember the last time I went to When's a doctor. When's the last time you saw your specialist? No, I, like in the 90s. Long, long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've really yeah. done this on your own, haven't yeah, yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. No, very I haven't. empowering. I had um, one of the other interesting things was, and this is just again my own uh, experience. I took a, a medication years ago called Celebrex, yeah, uh, which is an anti-inflammatory, and I broke out in a really, really bad rash. Like as in, I thought I had measles. Wow. Like my whole body was covered, and it, and I thought, oh, I've picked up like a. A fungus or because I'd been out chopping wood that day too and yeah. and I thought for the fire and I thought oh I picked up something from outside and like my whole body was um and it was actually my grandma who when I was talking to her about it she goes oh yeah she goes yeah I had a reaction to that and that same thing happened so obviously with her having so it was her right. that told me so um and then I learned that obviously I must have a I think there's sulfur or something in those particular yeah. base drugs and so yeah. obviously I just my body just doesn't like them yeah. So it was another one of those things where when you have a bad reaction, you go, all right, well, it was... You it was, find another way. Yeah, it was a further sort of thing to go. And like I said, I know plenty of people who take those um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and get amazing results. And if yeah. you do, awesome. If that gets you out of trouble and yeah. keeps you functional, go for it. Unfortunately for me, I had, yeah, a, that was had, your a, had a reaction. Yeah, But it's not to say that, you know, to not take that balanced approach and always... Oh, no, absolutely, know, yeah. Yes, yeah. You know, have a good team of East and Western yep. practitioners, but what works for you? Absolutely. And for some people, the Western route works really well. Mm. And for some people, they that hasn't. And then that forces them to go seek alternative medicines. Yep. Um, and that is obviously both of our paths where yeah. we've both had to do that that led us to be become practitioners. So what's the... Did you say the third thing? Uh, so what do we say about yeah, how getting practice is going to help understand your challenges and then don't forget how powerful the foundations of health are. Yep. So this is, you know, this is what I tend to focus on. So your exercise, your nutrition, you know, your mindset, just your, your daily rhythm and flow of how you yeah. go about things. I mean, yeah. to me, they're huge modulators of health and they're the things that, like I said, that I've used. I've sort of been, I've used nature. Yeah. To help heal myself, you know, and that comes yeah. from my philosophy as a naturopath too. So it's yeah. no sort of, you know, it's no surprise that that's what I tend to Come back to, to lean that. towards. Yeah. So, yeah. and it's also a this and that. So if you're on a medication that's helping, you know, your condition, that's awesome. That's so good. But don't think it's just the medication. So you know, you still need to exercise. You still need to There's eat right. You still need parts, to get out in the yeah. sunshine. You still need to, you know, have happiness and joy and flow Along in your life. Along with it, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's never a this or that. It's a this and that. So That's we need really good advice. All of these things, you know, just to just to help us live it. Like we said, a, a healthy and happy life because that's yeah. what this podcast is all about. I love it. So, what's the main thing you learned on your journey, Demo? Uh, I think it's sort of yeah, it's that self management. Yeah. It was the, you know, there's that, there's that part in me is that, yep, it's that hero's journey. Like, yep, you've got to do this. This is, you've got this, you can do it. Yeah. And, you know, depending on your philosophy in life and how you incarnated on, in, on this planet, obviously I decided to, you know, unpack a fairly complex challenge and, mm. and see how that would be because maybe life would be a bit boring for me if, you know, <laughs> there wasn't something exciting to unpack and learn from. So, you know, there's obviously times when you're in the, you know, in the depths of, the, the bad parts of it that weren't so good but yeah. you know when you can look back on it now and yeah. what I've learned and then really how I can be of service and help other people 
that's the real sort of gift in in most of it as well. I guess that's what you're now focused on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it was like I don't actually think about this stuff too much anymore. I just, yep, yeah, you know, it's there's a lot of things that I just don't do because I know they're they're not good for me and I don't really think about it after that. It's not like, oh, man, because, I mean, I don't drink uh, alcohol really anymore. Like it's yeah. it's a rare occasion because I know it's just no, it's, it's just not good for me. Yeah. But I, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, as soon as alcohol's out of my life, oh, I wish I could have alcohol. I'm not that – I'm just lucky that my personality doesn't go that way. I don't necessarily have those cravings for yeah. things which I'm quite, well, quite you're happy quite, about. Well, you're obviously quite disciplined, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I think there comes a point where you go, is it worth it? Yeah. So it's like, you know, oh, I'd really love like a toasted sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's like, is it is it worth it? Yeah. It's like, is it worth, you know, the gut pain or yeah. the, the joint pain, the inflammation? And, you know, there might be times when it is. Yeah. <laughs> if you're at a party or it's, you know, yeah. your 40th or whatever it yeah. might be, it's like, yep, it might be time to let loose. <laughs> um, but you just know that, okay, cool, I flared up because I did X, Y, Z. Yeah, no, that's really important. Um, so, how can um, how do you help others at your practice, and how people how can people find you? So, yeah, I think the how I help people is helping them put together that holistic plan that really looks at everything. So, I'm I'm open to that everything could be influencing someone's health challenges, mm. and it's educating them to be open mm. that all of these things could be. You know, so if someone gets stressed, angry, emotional, and their back pain flares up, mm. bringing that to their awareness could be really helpful rather than just every time their back flares up, they take some Nurofen or some ibuprofen or whatever it might yeah. be, actually going, hey, do you realise that, you know, when work gets really busy, your back goes all the time? Yeah, <laughs> connecting the dots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really just helping people understand you know, their challenges and navigate a plan, again, that puts them on the path to health and healing. Beautiful. Cool. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing your very inspiring um, story, Damien. Um, I think you've got really important things to share and i um, so lucky that, you know, we're going to unpack all of that in yeah, yeah. each episode, which is going to be so exciting, all the things we're going to talk about, all the rabbit holes we're going to go down. So look out. So you think we should uh, go over to you now? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, um, you don't need a moment just to breathe. We're all good. We're still going. No, all good. Awesome. I, um, yeah, I such similarities in, in mm. our health journey and um, our conditions as well, which yeah, yeah. blows my mind actually. Because there probably was some things in there that you may not have known. Or, no, you know, you've definitely that. spoken about new things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which cool. has re been really cool to hear. Yeah, so awesome. Thank you. I, um I think you're an amazing human. Thank you. That's all right. So where shall I start, I guess? Um, so I'm a twin sister. I'm a twin mm. person. I have a twin sister. <laughs> Her name's Nicole. You're a full person, not half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a full person. Yeah. And um, so I guess I would say that I'm more the extrovert. She's mm. more the introvert. Um, and both Nicole and I have always had a passion for... Um, music but academics as well and we mm. found ourselves in the music school most of the time when we were young and this led to us taking it quite seriously actually where we would sing and write our own music we started to you know write with different producers um and myself i've also been quite always fascinated naturally in um energy medicine and energy within itself and creativity and sort of that led me on a journey to um to work in the fashion industry as well. And I would probably say I am a bit of a go-getter. I work very hard. I'm definitely that extrovert, maybe an overachiever as well. It is my default to go, go, go and do, do, do. Um, and that surely helps me to get things done. And I'm definitely positive um, and I wear, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I tend to see the glass um, half full um, but I have had to explore where this has also become or been an overcompensation mm. in my life and where it's been a protective mechanism as well. And so when I was 19 years old, this was a time when Nicole and I were studying uh, musical theatre and dance full time. Where we decided, oh, yep, I'm going to... I didn't know you started with that. Yeah. Oh, wow. okay. So we, um, we went to uni for a year yeah. and when I was on a path to... Oh, I was really fascinated in law 
And um, but I didn't get into law just yet, so I was um, doing criminology. And, and Nicole was still unwell. My twin sister suffered um, Crohn's disease from age eleven. She was really sick with it, major inflammation in her gut, and arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis yeah. as a result of that. And so um, yeah, Nicole and I. Nicole went through. Um, she had to miss school. She was so unwell. She went through so much. And so by the time we got to year. Uh, 10 she find she she felt she could come back to school so she had somewhat recovered and so she finished 10 11 and 12 and did so well even though she'd missed like five years of school so proud of her and um the so we we figured life was too short and nicole was better so we we were at university and we thought you know what let's go for our dreams and that's what led us to study musical theater and dance at dance factory and um and that was, um, yeah, when we were 19. So was that 1999, I think, if my maths is right. And um, so I, that was when I first experienced symptoms of pins and needles down the left-hand side of my face and fingertips. And so that prompted me to go to my local GP and he thought, let's get you into emergency and get an MRI because this could be brain stuff. So that was an interesting experience that... Um, even getting into my first MRI was an, an experience within itself, but I did that. And they found one little lesion, just one, in my brain. So they didn't know what it was really. They couldn't diagnose me with anything specific at that stage. So um, uh, true to my nature, I just got on with my life and um, I fell into the fashion industry, a career I really enjoyed most of my 20s. And then the symptoms came back and this was around the age of 24. And um, but this time I so I went off and I had well I, my symptoms moved from pins and needles to numbness and weakness on the left hand side of my body so it was a little bit worse so I had another MRI and but this time I had my results analysed by a neurologist mm. and um, I went to my appointment and my doctor looked at me and he looked at my results and he said Amanda I'm so sorry but your scans now show you've got a few lesions on your brain. And also one on your spine, which means we can confidently diagnose you with multiple sclerosis. So MS is a disease of the central nervous system of the brain, spinal cord and optic nerves. Um, very similar to your story, my immune system gets confused mm. and it feels like it wants, it feels like <laughs> it perceives, no, well, for some reason it wants to attack um, a foreign um, agent on my body. And for me, if you imagine an iPhone charger, and the outer plastic is the myelin, which protects all of your nerves. And this allows electrical impulses to fire out in from, from your brain, out through your nerves to all the systems of your body. And for some reason, it thinks that there's something going on with the myelin, so it will t attack anywhere. So therefore, um, symptoms can include blindness, you can stop um, swallowing, um, you can have digestive issues, heat sensitivity, nerve pain, paralysis gut stuff, um, emotional stuff, anxiety and depression is also quite common. So, you know, your brain's in charge of a lot. Your, mm. central, <laughs> your yeah. central nervous system's in charge of a lot. So think of, you know, any of those symptoms can happen. And so from that moment on, um, what I know now looking back after my diagnosis is from that moment on, I started to focus all of my energy on what I excuse me, on what I didn't want and what I was scared of that might happen, that I might end up disabled, bedridden or worse. So true, <laughs> true to my nature, I, I went out later and I worked harder and I disconnected more and more from my body because I wasn't actually dealing with how difficult those emotions were. And at that age, I didn't know how to sit mm. with difficult emotions that led to overthinking, being in my head, which I'm still really good at, but at least now I'm aware of when I'm doing that. Not all yeah. the time. You always have to tell me at least once a month when I'm doing it. But, anyway. <laughs> but that's a default for so many of us, isn't it, where we go into our heads when we don't understand something and we'll go over it and over it like a fishbowl and that just makes everything so much worse and then we end up holding on to all those emotions that get stuck in our body and that can manifest as symptoms or um uh, just a dis-ease of the mind and body in general. And so living this way, scared of my future, um, 
what we do when we're stressed is we tend to divert to old subconscious programs and worst case scenarios because your body's perceiving threat. Mm. And so it, it believes it needs to protect you. It believes you're in danger. No different as if we used to have to run from a tiger back in the day. That's what we our body would perceive as threat. Whereas, you know, illness can be another one um, and our modern day problems, which is a whole nother podcast. So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole just yet. But when we're stressed, we tend to go into protection. And I was living this way, not also to mention after being diagnosed, I started to lose that inner belief in myself. Mm. I lost my anchor. My mind would say, you've lost that spring in your stride, that sparkle in your eye, that confidence, you know, Mm. where you know who you are and what you stand for. And I started to feel not good enough and... Um, and I played small as a result and I was happy and driven on the outside overcompensating being, you know, very busy or, you know, trying to trying too hard. So how old were you? At this, I remember you spoke about the 19, so there was the 19 and then this again yeah. was five years later, the 24. Yeah, yeah, so you're still really building your identity then as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, working out who I am and everybody's getting married and, mm. you know, I was just figuring stuff out and and my relationships were absolutely impacted because of what I was believing about myself after the after the diagnosis but even before I was diagnosed I was still working on my self-worth and every, whatever we're believing we always try and make this true mm. um, and so simply when I was diagnosed it was just another thing that solidified a belief I was already working on that I wasn't good enough you know mm. and so Again, another five years later, everything seems to come in fives with me. <laughs> another five years later. Well, five's my... a number of transformation too. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Lego. Five elements. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> didn't think about it like that though, but that makes sense. So, yeah, another five years later, believing I wasn't good enough, my body's perceiving threat. I wasn't looking after myself. I went, you know, I went out later, you know, wasn't um, anything to just distract myself from these difficult emotions my worst fears were realized and the entire left-hand side of my body became slowly paralyzed. Mm. So my face dropped, looked like a stroke. My arm twisted and my, my arm stopped working, my hand twisted and my hip, leg and foot on the total left-hand side of my body over a slow, cruel 10 days became totally paralyzed. So washing and feeding myself became the most difficult tasks of my day and what a perfect thing to happen, not that I would wish that on anyone, but for me I couldn't find a way to slow down. Nothing was slowing me down and it's like, well, that did. did. It was the hardest and the darkest time of my life but it was also the best. Um, I was forced to go within and that's what... We, what's what happens when we have to lean into that un, um, abyss of um, uncertainty or when we're faced with adversity or a re- we become really, really sick or we have to jump into a change in our lives, a divorce, whatever it is, there is that moment of transformation. And then when you're forced to go within, um, <laughs> we find so many answers that we could never find externally and I remember there was a I was living in hospital and for three sorry I went to hospital first and I had the traditional three days of steroids to reduce the inflammation at the site so I was having a flat not a flare-up it was actually a new lesion so it was a disease progression so there was a difference there Um, and I remember I had three days of steroids but I still couldn't move so they extended that to five days but I wasn't responding to treatment and I was at Epworth Richmond in Melbourne and they have a rehabilitation centre where you can live so they decided to transfer me there but first I sat in front of another doctor who then explained to me and I was age 29 you may never walk again it's now a waiting game you're not responding to treatment let's just see what happens that was the hardest darkest time um and I remember well I use this analogy it's as if we would light a candle in this well-lit room today you don't so much notice the light Mm. it's only when everything becomes dark that's a time when you find your light and what you're truly capable of and that's what would happen next so I remember one of my first sessions I woke up and I was quite drugged out and they would wheel me in my wheelchair of course to my rehab session and um, my neurophysiotherapist 
um, Gavin Williams, amazing man to this day. I owe him my body. And also other um, neurophysiotherapists there. I remember Sean was his colleague and they were absolutely amazing. And they gave me one of my first exercises just to simply get my hand to open and close. Mm. And I had tears running down my face because it was bloody hard Mm. it was just so hard and I was finding it so hard to do it but it was in that moment I knew I had a choice I could either give up or I had to change my mind and reimagine what could be possible for me to get different results I couldn't live my life the way I was before I knew that was my moment where I had to change and that is why I'm so passionate about being flexible because you can't do that until you find that flexibility in your mind and your body and your soul and rah, rah. And so I was faced with no choice but to succeed and we all have this that happens in our lives, whatever it is, but you'll know that moment for you where you know you had no choice but to succeed and you had to jump. Um, and so there were many, many, many weeks, maybe six, where nothing happened and I was sitting in my wheelchair hiding behind the biggest black sunglasses I could find in my luggage and I um god back then we didn't even have mobile phones like we do now I just turned it off because I didn't have internet on it I didn't have Facebook none of that but that was good because I just shut everything down and so there were weeks and weeks of nothing and I was crying behind my black sunglasses and um but there was one night where everything changed and um, typically um, we would have girls' night um, and that was on a Tuesday night. But, you know, I was in hospitals living in rehab. I couldn't be there. But some weeks they would come to hospital in my rehab centre, in my room, and they would bring dinner to me. And it was so beautiful. It was the best thing I looked forward to. It was the highlight of my absolute <laughs> – of how many months I was living in there. Um, and it was so beautiful. And we – they put me in my wheelchair and one night – we went across the road to the pub and we laughed and laughed and just forgot about the 24-7 hell that was my reality just for a few hours. But what I noticed then, because of the power of polarity, just sitting at dinner, having moments with my friends, just eating and laughing, brought so much joy into my body. I felt like I received and absorbed joy for the first time than ever before. And it it just warmed every cell of my body because it was what I was going through was so hard. The polarity of just having those amazing moments with my friends just then um, shifted something in me. And I came back to my room after dinner and my toe moved on my paralyzed foot for the first time. Um, And it reminded me of the importance of joy and how much we can block joy and enjoyment in our lives because we're so busy and stressed and rah. And and so I was able to just level out in that moment and something shifted. And every single nurse who I became so close with on that floor knew that my toe moved for the first time and my twin was with me and we were so happy and excited. And um, it was in that moment that I started to focus my energy on what I wanted instead of what I didn't want. And I think it's because of the hope that that brought. And hope is so important um, when I had lost so much of it. And so I walked and ran within six weeks. Mm. So Which that is amazing. blew my mind. And then that again created another shift within me and allowed me to reimagine what my life could then be possible despite living with this disease. Mm. And then that translated into um, other areas of my life and me being able to make the changes I needed to make within myself to actually step into wellness. This is my 11th year of clear MRIs. No more new lesions. Mm. I take a very balanced approach. I have an amazing team. I've got an awesome neurologist that supports my balanced approach. Um, there's been moments where I, moments there've been um, years where I've been on meds and then off meds and then on. And I'm a huge believer in what you said before that it's what did you say? It's like doing it together. You've got to do it. Um, not this and that. <laughs> correct. This and that. Yep. It's doing and even my doctors admit that to me. They say it's it's not just one thing. Yep. It is everything that you're doing. And so I think we all have moments like this, which is our opportunity to elevate and to be bigger than our fears and bigger than our setbacks. But I really believe our setbacks are, are, are our exams and a path 
that leads us to where we're ready to walk next. And if I can encourage or inspire people today to, to see their adversity and setbacks as an opportunity to grow, you, you're going to see them very differently and you're going to perceive stress differently and you're going to calm down and you're going to give your mind and body the best environment to be able to transform whatever you're going through. Mm, absolutely. I love those stories, um, you know, like the the spontaneous remissions, like you hear of some of the healings that people go through. Yeah. Like they're just phenomenal. With, with you, with that one there, like you said, when you moved into that heart space and the joy started to flow in and, you know, that changes all of, neurolo- all of your neurology. Yeah. How quick was that? You know how you said you came back and I think you said the finger and then the toe? Yeah. Like the, the progression from that to the running, was it a, like a gradual pro- progression or was it like a, a it was bit momentum. more of an instant? Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean it went, it was slowly progressed. So toe moved for the first time. And then the a kinesiologist would work on me every three days out yep. of the kindness of his heart. He would just yep. come visit me. And um, that's how I was introduced to how... Well, no, I was introduced to kinesiology much younger, but that's where I saw the physical effects, mm. which inspired me to study sports kinesiology to understand the body functions. But so neurophysiotherapy three times a day, living in rehab for two months, plus kinesiology, so that east meets west balanced approach... Um, I would go to physio after my kinesiology sessions and they would say, whoa, you're 20% better overnight. What are you doing? And I would tell them. And then it would just went from toe moving to leg. And I went from having um, my, a foot brace. You know, they give um, stroke patients this as well. So you can actually lift your foot because I didn't have gait on my left yeah. side. Yeah. And that was probably a couple of weeks. And then... After a couple of weeks, they said, no, nope, you don't need this anymore. We're going to tape your knee up. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. What? What? I'm not ready for that. And they said, yes, you are. And um, they taped my knee up and, and then I was walking around like that. And then, and then I walked on my own. Mm. And it was, it was about four or five weeks where I walked on my own again. And then Gavin Williams specialises in not getting his clients just walking again but running again as well. And so I was out on the oval doing this not very pretty run, but I was mm. doing it mm. and, and that was – it just kept blowing my mind. So I think my practitioners even at the hospital were quite blown away as to how fast the recovery was when at the start I was really faced with maybe never, ever walking again at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think, like you said, having the right practitioners that yeah. understand makes a huge difference. To give you a, a, a funny story, um, it must have – um, I can't quite remember, maybe about 10 years ago I was working in a medical clinic right? Um, and I had a particular client with a lot of neurological problems that I'd been working on with him for a long time and, you know, he'd, he was in a wheelchair for a lot of the time. He could come and see me and I could get him to walk and I could get him to walk for maybe a day, oh, two cool. days, three days and it'd sort of wear off. So, you know, he'd need to see me every couple of days to do this. So this is one of the first times I was working in this new clinic He's come in with his carer. They've bought him in the wheelchair and he's walked out. <laughs> so, <and laughs> Love it. And I knew that was going to happen. That's so great. But like the, the nurses and the staff, they're like, Did, didn't he come in, in a wheelchair? It was like <laughs> golden. So it was like that was the best marketing I could have ever done. Yeah. But but what I mean is that um, a lot of these really uh, intricate musculoskeletal therapies that there's a lot of amazing healers and practitioners out there, mm. they can really help people. So if someone thinks, yeah. oh, no, no, it's not going to work for me, um, you know, you've just spoken, you know, yours had a, you know, there was also your mindset and your own challenges, but you had that support crew to really get you to that next it level. It takes the patient and the practitioner to both be equally as motivated and believing mm. yep. that it could be possible. Um, I don't know, that's just what I learned when I became a practitioner. I think both parties taking responsibility really, really helps. Mm. Oh, look, I've seen some absolute miracles in clinic before. Which yes. is, you know, it's like I consider them miracles. It's yeah. like, wow, that's, that's just amazing. So... Yeah, like you said, having that support crew is really, really important. Mm. And it sounds like, you know, you got well cared for in there by not only, oh, you know, the doctors, but your friends and all that other stuff. And I was, just... like, I think it was luck, but I also, you know, people ask me all the time, what was it? What was mm. it that happened? Why did that happen? And, you know, I still am trying to piece it all mm. together. I'm still trying to work it out. But what I do know is there is so much that can be possible when you when you are against, everything's against your odds. Like, mm-hmm. it's just... The, possibility can happen and I guess that's my path of figuring out 
you know, my best advice on that is just if you can give your mind and body and spirit the best environment to be adaptable to change and to bring in, um, you know, things, letting things happen in ways that you never thought they could, Mm. you know, it's a really good start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So was there anything else that you wanted to sort of touch on with that? I mean, that's that's pretty pretty much my story. And and obviously that led to me, you know, studying and research. Like, well, I came home and I um, still had to lie down half the day. I had multiple MS symptoms that I was battling with, like fatigue, um, balance issues um, and, um, you know, the paralysis still recovering from that and pins and needles. And um, But I was mobile again, so grateful. And so that prompted me to study and that's when I came across nutrition and then mindset and then kinesiology and then I studied sports kinesiology and then I met you Mm. um and you know I opened up my private practice and you know that was my classroom where I really started to see not just autoimmune disease but multiple different physical and mental ailments and that's where that I've really started to learn the patterns of how people become unwell why people can't step into wellness why some people do this is all the juicy stuff i want us to talk about in these podcasts like all those patterns and there's something to learn from those so what do you think of the the three things then that you think you'd recommend now to others out there so either maybe with ms or even going through their own like health challenges yeah it applies to especially complex health challenges i agree um to give the mind and body the best environment to maximise flexibility so you can adapt to change in your life. Um, and that would lead me to the second tip, which, um, you know, my pillars of health in doing that is getting back to what you said before, of the simple stuff. You know, optimise your mindset. Um, empty your mind. You wash your body every day. How do you wash your mind of yesterday's thoughts, negative ideas, old redundant beliefs that just don't serve you anymore that for some reason we freaking hold on to <laughs> for the rest of our lives and we see the world through those glasses. Yep. But it's not even what we believe anymore and we haven't learned how to change our minds and that's what Ben Like Bamboo is all about is being flexible so you can reimagine your life and what's possible for you and to change your mind about what's old. And that's, sorry to interrupt there, but that's yeah. essentially what you were doing when you left the hospital, went over with your friends. There's that neuroplasticity of you broke the cycle of possibly that rut thinking you might have been, yeah. you know, because I could imagine it would have been a bit gloomy at times. Oh, it was awful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine that, you know, you would have been into awful. that dark night of the soul of, you know, yeah. meeting some of those, you know, deeper oh. aspects of yourself and then that that ability to come out of that and then your brain goes, like with that joy and that experience that you mm. felt, it goes, oh, wow, mm. we can actually tune into this. Mm. This is really cool. And the brain goes, yeah, mm. yeah. So that can happen to us day to day. Like you can go, no, no, yeah. I don't want to think that anymore. Your brain goes, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yep, all right, yep, I can change that. Yeah, and, and just sit with the uncomfortable. Mm. It will move and transform into something else. If you resist it, then thoughts will come up that match to that resistance of that feeling and that's where the spiral begins. So if you can just sit in uncomfortable feelings in a meditation, wash your mind with journaling and meditation, that's how I do it predominantly. Um, um, There's other techniques but we'll roll into that in another podcast. Um, And so body moving and stretching and um, I love using exercise as another way to process my emotions. So that's my exercise um, routine that I have. And my program and um, nutrition, oh, my gosh, nutrition is so key. So much so that, as you know, you know, we both did work at Nourish, didn't we? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you were the nutritionist and naturopath. But, yeah, I, I created, um, I co-founded a, a business all about nutrition and helping people to nourish themselves with healthy, you know, um, nutrient-dense foods and the importance of that. When we're going through change, you really want to fuel your... Well, you know, the recommended daily intake is important just to for our normal functions of what we have to do every day. But if you're going through something or you're in need of repair, I highly recommend you need more nutrients than the recommended daily intake. Oh, so, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, think about that from food too. Don't just think about mega-dosing vitamins. Absolutely, like, yeah. whole food number yeah, one. Definitely, try and get it from food. I mean, I am yeah. definitely a, um, recommend supplements when they're needed, yeah. um, but I don't always agree with mega-dosing a lot of these vitamins. No, whole foods definitely yeah. is a number one way. And then, yes, there is a place for supplements and that's why 
naturopaths are here. That's that's your role. And and then of course, when a happy mind is connected to a happy body, while you're nourishing it with happy foods, this is um, how I talk about it. Then we can reconnect. And when you reconnect with yourself, you're more inclined to reconnect with those around you, which leads you to living a happier and healthier life. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. That kind of just happened. So um, my. Um, third tip is start with smaller changes because they'll translate to the bigger ones. So brush your teeth with a different hand, walk or drive home on different routes, get your brain used to rewiring itself for change, that it's a good thing. And that'll push you out of your comfort zone, which is going to be really important in all the stuff that we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. So, I mean, you, you spoke a lot about what you learned when you were yeah, I did. discussing your story before. But if you could sort of just sum it up into, you know, some keywords or a sentence, yeah. you know, for people as a takeaway, what do you think is the, the key thing that you learnt from this experience? What we believe is what matters. Mm. What we believe is what matters. Just wanting something is not enough to make it happen, right? And what, and what did you believe? Um, when I was younger, I didn't believe in myself, my ability, whether I was enough, how capable I was. I had low self-esteem, still working on that. And so how we think and feel and what we believe is a mirror image of the biochemistry that will fire in the body. Mm. And we're typically in growth and repair or survival and stress pathways, which, as we know, leads to inflammation and more disease. And when those toes moved and those fingers moved... I was in joy. Yeah. I was in joy. And, and my body let go of the survival program, maybe, and then stepped into, oh, I don't need to protect her anymore. We can now prioritise growth and repair. I only put all this together later when yeah, I yeah. studied. Um, but what we believe is what matters and just wanting something to happen is not enough. What you believe is what matters and I call this the inner conflict when that doesn't align. What you want versus what you're believing. And I work with my clients to move that needle up so there's an alignment with what you're wanting versus what you're believing, which then mirrors more harmony in the body, which uh, leads to a happier and healthier life. Mm. And like you said before about starting small too, because that gives you the momentum, even like we said about yeah. your fingers and your toes and you've got that momentum to yeah. walk towards the running. It's That's the great metaphor for even any change yeah. we're talking about. Like you said, starting small, get some momentum, get, get some get flow. Get good at it, get some confidence, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a bit then, and then I think you've probably spoken a little bit about it as well, but let's just give them a little sort of bite-sized chunk about how you help others with this in your practice. Um, so I'm a kinesiologist and that helps me to discover your inner conflict because it gets the muscles are connected to the subconscious part of the brain and we can push all this stuff and suppress it away so much is um, subconscious. So at my private practice, I see people one-on-one. Um, I've just um, finished writing my online course. So this work that I do is um, so excited. Next month will be available globally. Wow. And I've got um, lessons on mind, body, nutrition and connection. Um, and so, yeah, that, that'll be released soon. And the production quality of this thing's amazing too. Yeah, so thanks like to this awesome yeah, guy, Matt Gantz. Amazing. So, thank you. Um, yes, and I've after that I'll release my book. And so I just had to write my story and I had to write down all the lessons. But again, oh, I'm enjoying this, like mm. being able to talk it through and sharing our lessons through, through our podcast as well. And I, of course, I nearly forgot, I'm a motivational speaker as well. So I do health and wellbeing workshops with um, businesses, helping them with resilience in the workplace, happiness in the workplace, how to deal with change in the workplace. And I have keynotes on mind, body and nutrition. So that's kind of fun. It's different. I, I like mixing it up. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you can see that now you're taking your message and trying to share it with you know, with everyone. Yeah, it applies to so many different things that absolutely. even in my own personal life. So, yeah, so that was fun. Yeah. I um, really enjoyed today's episode. Yeah, that was great. Obviously, it's our, our first episode there that we've we've got through. So we thank you very much for tuning in today and thank you, Amanda, for your insights. That was amazing. My pleasure. It was really great. I really enjoyed it and um, no, thank you for your insights as well. So I've got no doubt that this, you know, this information is going to be really helpful for a lot of people and like I said, we invite you to get in touch. If you, know, you want to know more about some of this stuff, we'll include as much as we can in the show notes each week when we uh, upload an episode. And again, like I did say at the start of the episode, if you've got any questions, feel free to send them in because we will absolutely answer them. Yes. Perfect advice. 
So a big thank you to you guys for tuning in to this episode today. We really do appreciate it. And if you love the podcast, we'd love you to subscribe. We'd love you to rate it and give us a review on Apple Podcasts because that helps us get the word out to everybody else as well. So until next time, stay safe. And may the force be with you.